Welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Shittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Today, I am excited to bring you two conversations that happened post-Boston, one with C.J. Albertson and the other with Nell Rojas. Both of, the com- both of these conversations, I should say, have been published on the Road to the Trials podcast, but we're going to be doing so much stuff, and it has been just an absolute blast getting to know the eight runners that we've been following. Obviously, Nell and C.J. are, are very well known, and I'm excited to bring you these conversations. These are the kind of conversations that we share all the time, so I hope you really enjoy these. Also, if you do, go over to Road to the Trials. Follow, subscribe, do all that stuff so you can be up to date on all of this stuff in real time. Also, big shout out to UCAN, our sponsor for this episode. Go check them out and use code RAMBLING to save 20% on your order. It is some just great stuff over at UCAN, and I just can't get enough of it. I love the bars. They're absolutely fantastic. They're basically like candy. The powders are excellent. It really eases my mind when I go into a long run, when I've had the energy powder beforehand it really provides me a lot of energy and in addition to that it reminds me to hydrate because you're taking it with you know 16 ounces or so of water which is a great uh great boost there and the edge energy gels is what i take on the run and then if i'm just having some water i like to throw some hydrate in there even if it's the night before a big run to get a little extra salt intake go, again go to youcan.co use code rambling to save 20 percent on all of this great stuff i can't recommend it highly enough now let's get into my conversations with both nell and cj Welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the 2024 Olympic Trials. And our Boston recaps continue with Nell Rojas. Nell, welcome back to the show. Thank you. (laughs) I'm excited to chat. So we had our intro episode a couple months ago, and we haven't had a chance to speak since then. Mm -hmm. And that show was highlighted by the fact that it was like, you know, one week, give or take, and you might not have run the Boston Marathon because it was mm-hmm. like your winter was so nuts. And there were such like from a health perspective and all these crazy things that you were seemingly really close just being like, oh, no Boston this year. So I guess since we last spoke in and you've also run very well at Boston and at the Cherry Blossom 10 miler. How were those kind of initial weeks in February from a training perspective, not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally as you started to get your, your sea legs under you? Um, good. Yeah. Last time we talked, I was in like this, like pretty dark, um, spot. Um, obviously if you, I, I don't remember what I said, but I remember being like, Hmm, that seemed negative (laughs) after I got (laughs) off and I was like, yeah. That's pretty negative, pretty accurate. So um, we'll leave it no, there. Not many but... people are like, hey, I got great news. I might not run the Boston Marathon. Usually, <laughs> yeah. what, usually that would be an atypical <laughs> sentence that someone could utter. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, since then, is that what you asked? Yeah, how's it been yeah I, guess, I guess like in February. How, right. how did training go in February as your health started to catch up and as you were obviously eyeing um, some of the goal races you had on the calendar? Um, got, it was like a very linear, I think after I talked to you, it was like a very linear, slow progression to health and to being able to pull off some decent workouts. So, you know, it really, this build really turned into like, all right, let's like not push it too hard. Let's like get some 
appropriate workouts in. Let's get you healthy to the start line. And, um, that's kind of how it was. Like, you know, my numbers of my workouts were like, I would say similar, like my paces were like similar to what they were in the last build, but I didn't push it. So like typically at the end of like a workout, you know, at the last couple of intervals, like maybe I'll like really push a little bit. Um, but this build was different because I just didn't do that. I just like kept everything very moderate and very appropriate. Um, but can, can yeah, it was, there? Can sorry. There on that one? So how did you take to that? Like, did, did you like pushing stuff at the end of workouts? Did it feel awkward not to, not to test yourself in that manner? Or was that something that you came by naturally and you really got into a flow with that kind of mentality? Um, no, I like pushing things. Um, it gives me confidence. Um, I just like finishing strong. I, I, that's like just my nature. I think I like pushing workouts pretty hard. I like like really high intensity workouts. So to not do that and to back off was a little unnerving for me. Um, and also just like real, like a little more, (laughs) I'd say a little more like tame and boring. Those are two adjectives that usually aren't attributed to you. So (laughs) I appreciate you, you sharing that, um, you know, when you're going through this experience and once you've, you've kind of gotten to the point where health is no longer a concern and you've Mm -hmm. you've kind of passed that hurdle and you're just thinking about training like you normally would. Um, do you find yourself looking back at like previous years and making potentially apples to apples comparisons? Again, you ran Boston last year. So how much time did you spend either, purposefully or subconsciously kind of comparing how this year was going to last year? Um, I'd say like purposely, I went through my training log a lot, um, to, to try to gauge my fitness, um, and compared apples to apples, which is really hard to do during a build because of different mileages, different races, how you're feeling. I was in Austin versus Boulder versus Phoenix last year. So it's just like, it's a little different, but you know, you can go through your notes and you can say like, okay, here's what I said about that last time. And here's what I said about this, this past workout. And my numbers were actually pretty, yeah, similar. And like, I knew I was backed off, um, like my effort this time. So I knew, I knew I could run better than last year. Um, just frankly from like, Last year, I wasn't, I went into Boston just like completely wrecked. Um, I just wasn't recovering. So I knew I could run better, even though like, I, I don't think I was in better shape. Gotcha. Okay. Mm-hmm. So as you're getting ready, I guess as the first thing, when it comes to the Cherry Blossom 10 miler, which I think is also the USATF 10 mile championships, um, mm-hmm. which is a historic race that people hadn't heard of it. It's always a really good, good group of athletes on the men's and women's sides that compete was that always on the calendar and how do like those kind of like, I don't want to call it a prep race because it's, it's a fantastic race in its own right. But how do you like to put those yeah. into your, your marathon schedules? Yeah. Um, it was always on my calendar. Um, we like to race two weeks before a marathon, either whether it's a 10 K. So in the past it's been gate, um, Cooper river, which is a 10 K also hilly, which helps for Boston. And then, um, 
the 10 mile happened to be two weeks before, you know, in the past, if you look at history, like there've been a lot of great winners who have won t the 10 mile and now, and then won Boston. Um, like some of the, like, I only know that because like it was in my dad's era, but, um, yeah, we like to do a hard effort two weeks before. And then I did, and that's like to get one last, like fast, um, workout in basically. Um, and to, cause like usually your fast short stuff will kind of tell you how you're going to do in the marathon. Yeah. So why opt for the the longer distance this time? And, and how did that compare from a race prep um, perspective um, compared to the 10K, not only in terms of preparing yourself for Boston, but also maybe getting a gauge on fitness? Um, well, it was just timing, really. You know, like, um, I guess there we could have done Cooper River. I think it was also that weekend. But... Um, I think, I think like, because I was like maybe a little bit less prepared or I just needed a, like one last actual workout, um, we opted for the 10 miler. Um, and you know, I did it, what was it? Two years ago. I won it two years ago and then had a really good performance at Boston. So like, you know, you could look at that time and kind of see what it compares to going into Boston. Yeah. And when you think of a 10 mile race, you know, like this one, you know, roughly 53 minutes or so, do you view that as like a short, fast race or, or like more of like an endurance test? Like how do you categorize like a, a 10 mile effort in that sense? Oh, definitely. It's a short, fast race. Yeah. I mean, cause we're basically comparing like paces for the marathon. So we want to get a, the biggest gap we can between marathon pace and the 10 miler. Um, so yeah, more like a, we view it more as like a 10 K. Okay. And when you go into this race specifically, so this year is an example, you didn't put, uh, you know, two years ago as well. Is it just, Hey, this is a race and I'm not even thinking about Boston. This is a race on itself. And you know, when I step to the starting line, all other races have kind of disbanded or is, or do you view it in light of, okay, I'm training through this race. Obviously I'm going to give a hard effort, but this is a, a stepping stone in a sense. Um, yeah, there's a couple of ways to go about a training race. Um, we do do like, I, I think our philosophy is that we want to race well when we race and, I think that benefit of speed that you're going to get for any of these training races are worth a small taper. So we do taper for these races. It's not like obviously a marathon taper, but, you know, for example, my um, mileage was 115 and I think I ran 90 miles that week. So we do taper for these races to get the biggest benefit out of that race. Okay, so is that like a two or three day taper? Like, do you still have a a normal workout, you know, week of? So, the long run the week before is going to be on Wednesday instead of Sunday. Okay. So you know we're doing like a twenty two twenty four miler instead of doing it seven days before. We'll try to do it at least ten days before. Okay. Um, and then the week of we will do a speed session 
Um, we'll keep it a little bit more under control. So we did, I think that week we did like, we did a mile at about marathon at altitude. And then we did six sets of 600, 200, and then we did another mile bookend. Um, you know, and we didn't go crazy there, but we did get some speed in. Um, we did that on Tuesday and the race was on Sunday, I believe. So, um, and then, yeah, we started tapering, I'd say like a, a three day taper. All right. Let's talk about the race. All right. So we're going to spend more time talking about Boston for sure. But I think this is instructive, especially because it seemed like it was a fantastic race, especially from a viewing perspective. I mean, I'm going to bring up the the search results right here, um, which obviously, of course, because I'm doing this, have now fallen off my computer. And now I'm going to filibuster here as I bring them back onto my computer screen. But basically, you had, I think it was four or five women who were within five seconds of each other. I mean... I didn't get a chance to, you know, I, I wasn't there for the race, but here we go. So we got um, Sarah uh, Challengat finished at uh, 52.04, and then Sarah Hall, 52.37, you, 52.38, Emma Hurley, 52.41, Molly Grable, 52.42. So four people in five seconds. Um, have you been in a race that wasn't like a 5K or something on the track where like it was that condensed at the finish line? Um, I don't know. Probably. <laughs> I mean, that seems like, that seems like it was like an incredibly close race, especially for something that is almost an hour in distance, an hour in length. I mean, so here's what happened. Um, we were going at a pretty good clip for the first like seven, seven and a half miles. It was really windy that day. Um, and so when you turn around and you basically come back for maybe two, two and a half miles. So then Emma Hurley, who's, you know, a younger rising athlete, she's awesome. Um, made a move at like seven, seven and a half. And like, I knew what was going on. You know, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> you know, you're going to make that move and you know, like we're about to turn right into a headwind. So I hope you can like sustain that you know like um so basically we turned we had like i don't know two two and a half miles to go and we just no one was going to take the lead she had the lead and so i just filed in right behind emma and then sarah was right behind me and then i think molly was right behind her and basically we were jogging we jogged for we jogged for two miles um and so it was like we were basically just like, okay, what's, what's going to happen here? And I had, um, you know, Ryan Hall was right there and he was like, Sarah, like, don't even think about touching the lead, you know, cause that would be, we were going straight into a headwind. And so was he, was he on course or was he biking alongside? Um, I think he was on the course. Okay. But you um, heard him call out. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, of course that was pretty obvious and it was just kind of like, okay, well, I had the race two years ago in my mind that I started kicking at like, I think it was like 1200 against Jenny. And I really wanted to do that because I was scared of Jenny's. I was, I was, I, I wasn't confident in my speed, obviously. Like I didn't want, Je I didn't want Jenny to be right there. Right. We, should, we should tell people who don't know, you're talking about Jenny Simpson, who's one of the best Jenny track Simpson. athletes of this yeah. generation. So I, that makes a lot of sense in the world. Yeah. Like I was like, I'm not going to do a hundred meter kick against, you know, <laughs> <laughs> Jenny Simpson. 
And then I had the same thought with Sarah. So at like, I, I think it was like between 800 and 1200 to go. I was like, okay, you know what? Like we're jogging. I'm going to have to make a move. I don't really, I mean, Sarah is a 1500 meter girl, you know, her, her history. And so I, I should have, what happened is I got, I like stepped out, meaning like from behind Emma, I realized immediately that my legs didn't have a 1200 or 800 meter kick. And especially because we were still going into the headwind. And so basically I should have stepped back in and been like, nope, I'm going to wait. But I was like, yeah, I made it. I, I started my move. Um, Sarah went right with me. Um, I was, we were still in the headwind. So I just, and then she like blew past me right at the end. So basically like, I don't know had I waited what the results would have been, had they been differently, who knows? Like, mm. but I did make a tactical error and I did go too soon. So that's why it was such a close race is because we were jogging. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you could do it again, knowing what you know now. Yeah. Would you have gone later or yes. would have you gone potentially like three and a half miles to go and kind of push the pedal to the metal before, yeah. before the wind? No, I would have gone later. I would have trust my speed because, you know, I do do a lot of speed work. I do do, you know, a lot of 200s. I do do a lot of strength. So I would have trust my speed and I would have waited, especially because you do make a right and then you're not going into the wind. So I, there and there's a little hill right before the maybe 600 meters to go. So I probably would have waited until then and then like made a harder move. Gotcha. All right. Competition aside and race tactics aside, what did that race tell you about your fitness heading into Boston? It told me it was okay. <laughs> I wasn't like, I wasn't like, wow, I'm so fit. I wasn't like, wow, I'm not ready. I was just like, yeah, appropriate kind of like what I thought. Am I like super ecstatic with that race? Like, I don't know because we jogged for the last two miles. Like it wasn't for me, it wasn't a test of fitness. Mm -hmm. Um, had we held on to the pace that we were going the first half, then like, yeah, I would have been like, okay, I'm fit. I'm ready to go. Like, I think I would have run fat, like faster than I had the two years before. So, but like, it was just windy and just kind of weird. So I wasn't, I didn't have like strong thoughts for it, except for like, I will do well at Boston. It's not going to be anything like crazy. I don't think I'm going to be like super ecstatic with my fitness, but like once again, I will show up and I will have a solid race. And with this race being two weeks out from Boston and being, you know, a hard effort, what does that mean for the, the, the two week period in the interim between those races? Um, especially when you combine the you know potential travel. I don't know if you stayed on the East Coast or not. You went back to Colorado and then came back to the East Coast. What does that two-week period look like? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you, like that day I ran 20 miles. Um, I did a really long warm-up um, and then a shorter cool-down. But, you know, that was a that was a 20 mile day. So you do have to make sure that you are recovering from that. And you're also like, you, you want to make sure that you adapt from that race. So it means, um, extra recovery. I think I did my first, I, I went back, I actually went to Austin for like a week. Um, and I think my first workout was on Thursday. 
um, after that. So I took four days of recovery or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, three days of recovery. And then I did my workout on Thursday and it was, um, it was one case. And then, yeah, it was one case, I believe. Yeah. Some, some speedy one case. Um, I think my mileage was like 85 that week. Um, you know, I like basically continued the taper. Um, so yeah, that's what it kind of looked like. Okay. And then week of heading into Boston, you have, again, you've run the race before. You also felt like this year, especially compared to the past couple of years, a significantly amplified um, corporate slash sponsor requirements for athletes, right? I saw athletes, including yourself, doing stuff all weekend long in a variety of different places. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to spend too much time on this because this isn't a Boston preview episode. This is a Boston recap episode. Mm -hmm. However, what did that, you know, 72 hour period before race day look like for you? And how did you feel about it? Mm. Um, I mean, it wasn't as bad as it seems like I had, yeah, I had a Garmin event on Friday. On Friday I had, um, just like a meet and greet event for Boston marathon. I had a Garmin event, um, that night, Saturday, I had a Nike event that night, um, and Sunday was like a technical meeting. Um, then there was like a press conference that was on Saturday day. And then there was like, you know, you have to like get your bottles in. So there's like things throughout every day that you're doing. Um, but I actually felt like I got to like be in, be off my feet quite a bit, um, compared to New York at least, which was nice. Um, I didn't sleep, um, on, I don't sleep. Um, so I didn't sleep on, I didn't sleep on Sunday night. I didn't sleep on Saturday night. Oh God. I, I did sleep on Friday and I did not sleep on Thursday. So I think that to me was the hardest, the hardest part about everything is just like, how little sleep it just makes everything like I'm just like a little grumpy <laughs> and you know with the nerves and everything I'm just like like when I saw you I was like I hadn't slept and I was just like I just like you can't focus like I have a really hard time focusing um of course so that's kind of how I felt <laughs> Right. And I just said that we didn't have an event or anything. People were wondering, like, you saw Matt. Yeah, we, we literally just like walked past each other like, yeah. in, in, the, in, yeah. in the street. Um, so and that was on Friday. So. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's just zoom out to like the zoom into like the night before. Right. So you're not sleeping the night before the race. Again, I know a lot of people um, probably they, a lot of people probably slept fine the preceding days. But a yeah. lot of people struggle the night before a big event that they're really excited for. Mm -hmm. um, when that's happening to you, as someone who seems like have dealt with this plenty of times before, mm -hmm. how do you handle that? Like, did you pick up a book? Do you put on the TV? Do you just kind of sit there and like have yeah. your mind basically going like a doom loop of like what's happening to me? Why can't <laughs> yeah. I fall asleep? Like, how does how do you manage that experience? Um, honestly, I usually handle it better. Um, I usually like, you know, understand that I, this happens to most athletes. It's happened before I have, I have, you know, raced well on no sleep. Um, this time I did not handle it well. You know, usually I'll just like 
lay there. Maybe I'll listen to like a sleep podcast, you know, that like falls you asleep. Maybe I'll um get up and like get some water, reset. Um, I remember last Boston, I was like taking like cold showers just to try to get my parasympathetic nervous system up. Um, this time I just like didn't have, I didn't have the patience. I didn't have the tools because honestly, like I didn't sleep the whole build. Like I I haven't slept in like three months. (laughs) And so like, I was so angry (laughs) and I'm not like an angry person, but like when you don't sleep, you just, you're just not yourself. And I was so angry because I didn't sleep the night. It was going to be like, you know, 48 hours or 72 hours since I had slept when I, when I raced. And I was just like, how am I? And I woke my boyfriend up, you know, he was like in a deep slumber because he like had, he went out to like, they, they went out to like eat some great seafood and he probably had like a couple beers and he came home and he just like fell asleep and I woke him up and I was just like cursing and I was just like so upset because I was like I don't understand why I can't <laughs> like I just like want to sleep I want to perform well um and that's how that happened <laughs> I'm sure he provided some wonderful advice when you <laughs> yeah. he, poor guy he was like um can I do anything I'm sorry you know and he can't do anything so you know well, we all need people to vent to, so it's understandable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he did a good job. <laughs> um, all right, morning of, specifically at the starting line, okay? Um, so you're there next to all the other women, ready to get going. What are the potential situations that you're weighing in terms of how you're going to manage you know, the first 5K, the first 10K uh, in terms of what you want to do and trying to read the field and get a sense of like, all right, if this happens, I'll do this. If this happens, I'll do that. How do you, how did you manage that moment in trying to determine exactly how you're going to progress in the beginning miles? Um, I really, you know, my main goal going in was to not get sucked into any of the like um, yo-yoing going on. So not getting sucked into sprinting at the fuel stations um and then slowing way down sprinting when someone makes a move and then slowing way down just because like new york was insane how much we like accelerated decelerated excel and that just takes so much out of that just like depletes your glycogen stores it just is so much harder so and that's kind of like how these races have gone like you're just like getting sucked into this and so my main goal i was like I'm going to run my whole race. Please, God, let there be a group next to me or like someone to run with, you know, because last year I ran the whole race alone. Um, and I think I did really good. Like I, I did not sprint through the aid stations. I let them go and then they would come back to me. And I was like, okay, solid pace. If I need to make like a small surge, I'll do it very gradually and I'll do it like very like slow and I'll like let them go and I'll and I'll catch back up to them. Um I wanted I knew I could run 530 pace so I was like all right I'm going to like you know I'm not going to take the lead I'll run between 525 530 pace see what how that feels and um I was not going to go with any group if I if they were going any faster than that. Um so that's kind of like how I was approaching the race. You ran 
you know, a pretty balanced race, you know, especially mm-hmm. for someone who's competing with other people as opposed to other folks who are kind of just, you know, time tri- basically doing a group time trial, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're there to win, you're there to compete with other people. So walk me through the those early mile decisions um, from a pacing perspective and maybe even from like a grouping perspective. Yeah, there's no real decisions to make the first 5K. Honestly, I wish we didn't go out at 609. Um you know, we're just jogging the first mile and that's how it's gone out the past couple of years. Um, which is kind of frustrating because you're breaking more than you're not breaking and you're not taking advantage. You know, I don't, I don't think they should go out that fast, but you're not taking advantage of that downhill. Um, and like the men, they went out at like what, 432, 435. And we went yeah, out flying. at like, what? Yeah, they're they were flying. flying. Yeah, we went out at 6.09. And so basically you're just like trying not to fall and like, you know, step on people and you're trying not to be tripped and trip people. Um, And you're just like waiting for someone to like kind of start moving a little bit faster. So there's no real decisions being made in that first 5K. When you see that starting to happen, why not just push up a little bit and just kind of like speed up again? Not a lot. Not like you're breaking away, right? This mm-hmm. isn't again all respect to CJ. This isn't a CJ Albertson like there he goes yeah. up front, right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm assuming that there were probably other women who felt very similar to you in terms of like, yeah. hey, I'm not trying to go out fast, but like 609 pace. Come on, like yeah. can we speed this up a little bit? Um, when you're in that situation, like I guess why why not be proactive in that situation as opposed to kind of like reactive and just kind of going with the group. Um, couple reasons. There's a headwind at Boston. Um, not the best idea to take the lead in a headwind and, mm-hmm. you know, you want to conserve any energy you can. Um, two, you don't want to like do anything crazy to your mental situation. So like, say you go out, you know, you're like 10 meters ahead. Like there was one girl was ahead. Like you don't want people all of a sudden to like be blowing past you. Um, just at any point in time. Um, and so I think those are also like, I'm not looking at the pace. I don't know exactly what the pace is. Um, because you know, your GPS is a little off. You're just not paying attention to that. So I think it's just the smartest idea just to kind of like go with the race, be relaxed, be calm, and just like kind of go with it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. it kind of reminds me when you see like the Olympic like 1500 meters. Yes, exactly. Where it's like there's no yes. rabbit, so they're, yeah. like, they're pulling like a 75. You're like, wow, yeah. this is really relatable. I could do that. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, yeah, my, I think my stride length was like, three inches it's like oh gosh okay oh my god that's funny all right so unfortunately i wish i could sit here and like make really informed questions and dissecting different moves and this happened and tell me about that but unfortunately with the boston race there's basically this one camera on the front and that's it and a lot of times they weren't even showing the women's event so i I basically had a twitter explosion during the race so i don't have to rehash that here but um so i can't sit here and be like hey tell me about mile 12 and when and this happened and that happened so just just like with my conversation with nico who was in the second group and i couldn't like walk through the whole process with him 
if you could just kind of let me know, like in the first half or so, or just kind of let me know, like just from a, a grouping perspective and a pace perspective, what were some of the things that you'll remember from the first half of the race um, that, you know, people who weren't on course maybe didn't see? Um, well, basically how it went for me was, you know, I think the first group went at five or six miles. Um, and it must, it might've been, and it, it, I think that group turned into to two groups very quickly. Um, Sarah and Edna were off the back of that group. I was with Annie Frisbee. Um, I was kind of like right behind Annie, um, for a couple miles and then just like trying to make my way to Sarah. We passed and she dropped Edna pretty quickly. So just Sarah was like, maybe like, you know, 15 to 20 meters in front of me. We were running at the same pace. I just couldn't quite catch her or just didn't really want to put in that much energy, like that much of a surge to catch her. So like just staring at the back of Sarah, basically probably from like, you know, probably from like eight miles to, I ran with her all the way to Heartbreak Hill. Um, and that was very helpful. It was really interesting running with her because I could tell I felt a little better than her. Um, I would have liked to sit behind her, which I did for a little bit, but I also wanted to like work together with her because I knew like that would bring us closer to the second pack because we could see them. We could see the second pack. We could see the first pack. And so basically like she ran behind me for a little bit. I would like on the hill and then we ran side by side, which was when we ran the fastest, it was definitely side by side. And it was very noticeable for me. So I was like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's like run together. Um, but any hill she would drop back a little bit. So I kind of like, I had this PTSD from the two weeks prior of <laughs> making a move too early on Sarah and her blowing past me. You know, and so in my head, I was like, okay, I'd like to run with Sarah. Um, so I didn't want to go. And I knew I was stronger with her on the than her on the hills, but I didn't go. I kind of like jogged up the hills, was like, okay, she she was able to like catch up to me on the downhills and like get going pretty fast, you know. Um, but I I did. I held I held back a little bit. Just because I was like, she's going to, like, come blowing past me at the end. Or, you know, I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't want to make a move too soon again. At the top of heartbreak, finally, I was like, okay, I'm going. I'm going. I feel good. I know we have this, like, 5K downhill to go. Um, I feel, I felt very, very strong. Stronger than I've ever felt at Boston at that point. Like, way different. But I also wanted to be, like, I didn't want to blow up. I wanted to be strong. So I just, like, kind of ran very, very, very within myself from the top of, well, the whole race, I just ran very within myself, which I've never done in a marathon. I've always like pushed it a little more, been a little more gutsy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was closing on that second group. Surprisingly to me, I was like, wow, like they're right there. And I was like, if I and can do you know just who's like, in that group, I know Alephine seems like she was in that group. What Alephine, um, Mary Nagugi, um, I think Chep to Viola, 
was in that group, and then I don't know who the other couple were. And then the Dutch girl from NN was falling off that group. I caught her, and then I Is caught... Nika? Nika Brinkman? Yeah. And then I caught one other person. So I caught her at 24 miles. I caught one other person right before we turned left on Boylston. Um, and basically, like, you know, when I was coming down Boylston, I saw 10 people running. You know, like, we were, that was close. It was close. Like, I was I was 14 seconds, I think, behind Alephine. Yeah. Um, and closing, and closing, you know, like, I cl- there was a 30-second gap between me and that group for, like, the whole race and then the last 5k it was like less and less and less so so yeah i was it was i'm happy with how strong i felt <laughs> so what do you take from this race from a strategic perspective right you just used the word gutsy before to describe how you raced in the past and i just like i know i just asked a question but i'm going to ask a question within a question now i guess mm-hmm. um like i can also imagine racing gutsy meaning like having the discipline to hold off right like that's also gutsy not to take the bait all the time right like to make a baseball reference like sometimes it's gutsy not to swing at the first pitch because you trust yourself to hit a pitch later in the at bat even if the first pitch is a pretty good one so i guess from a racing from a racing competition perspective considering what you just said in terms of how strong you felt at the end what did you take from this race that you can use moving forward i mean From a tactical perspective, it's hard because you, I mean, every race is so different. You can't be like, oh, I can go with the second pack now because like who, that doesn't mean anything. It's not the same in any mm-hmm. race. Um, I, what I mean by gutsy, I think is like going sooner. Like I, I could have pushed harder. I could have. 1000% push harder the last 10k and the last 5k you know what i mean um but ta- tactically you know i didn't really take you know you just they're all different so it's hard <laughs> i think i did a good job tactic tactically this time it sure seems so that's why yeah. that's exactly why i asked the question because it did seem like you really uh, were able to manage the course and your effort and your relationship to the competition in a nice way. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you talked about having that patience through the hills. I'm like, all right, no, like I know, I know, mm-hmm. maybe Sarah's not having the 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 race she wants to have right now, but that doesn't mean just just because I noticed that that I'm going to slam the gas, mm-hmm. right? Kind of waiting mm-hmm. for that right moment. Um, this is a marathon PR for you, right? One twenty four. So, I mean, that's pretty nice. I mean, think about like all of the preamble we've done in the first episode and even in this episode in terms Mm -hmm. of the difficulties, training not going great, coming into it um, with with less than um, less than what you wanted. I guess if we were to think about this whole experience, you know, a year from now, a year from before, like how do you want leading up into Boston 2023? How would you want it to look? All things being considered, you still came out and ran a PR. is there like a pretty strong silver lining there? Or what, what do you take from this experience generally over the last four to five months? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's honestly, you know, it's really easy to tell yourself like you do well at races because 
other girls don't show up or you get lucky at these races. Um, And that's kind of like sometimes my dialogue in my head, like, you know, like, yeah, you did well at Boston, but like, who is your competition? Or like, yeah, you did this, but so I think it, it shows me like, you know what? I, I was so Boston. I was so close. I'm talking in a marathon, 10 to 20 seconds off of like some of the best runners in the world. And so like, and like with not the best, you know, no, everyone doesn't have the best build or whatever happens, but it it just shows me like, I think I have so much more in me. Like I'm so excited to like have be in this place that I am now to train for the trials, um, to, to, to actually like get after it. Like I didn't get after it at all. This build I did not. And I was like, and I think that was the right move. I think it's okay. It was boring. I like wanted to do more. I like was kind of like, God, just like set me free. I want to train, like (laughs) set me free. But so I think like what I learned is like, I like when it's my time, when, when my body feels good and when I get the opportunity and it has to be, I, I I have to listen to my body and I can't make these decisions based on my emotions and I can't make these decisions if it's not logical and it does not make sense. And I think that's what a lot of other people don't do correctly. Um, it shows me that like I can make the Olympic team and I can run with these girls, um, so yeah, I mean the silver lining was huge in getting parasites in Kenya. Like I rested, I found out some like other things that were going on like below the surface and um I mean, I'm like so excited to to train in for the next one. Yeah, and I think you also showed that even when you're not on your A game, that you're right there with the best in the world, which must be a a really cool experience. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to like know that, you know, there's more and being in a good position. Right. Because I think there there are definitely going to be people, um, again, you you can't prognosticate what's going to happen a year from now, but certain people who can go into a race, again, whether it's the Olympic trials or any race for anybody thinking like, hey, if things go perfectly, I'm in the mix. Mm -hmm. I can be right there. If I have my day, I can be right there. I think it's a Mm -hmm. completely different situation to be like, hey, even on a B minus day, I'm going to be right there. And mm-hmm. I think that that is, is a, a very different place to be. It, 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 it promises you and guarantees you nothing. Mm-hmm. But I think that must, it must be a, a nice spot to be in. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, once again, there's no pressure on me. <laughs> um, and I like it that way. You know, like I like being an underdog. I think I show up when it counts. And... I think I'll continue doing that. Well, thank you for all the time. I will say my last thing here. Um, good luck trying to keep that underdog status. No, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) No, thank you so much for coming on this show, for sharing all of this as always. I really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Great to be here. Hey, everybody, are you tired of the spike and crash and GI distress that comes with sugar-based sports nutrition? It's time to try UCAN if you are, even if you aren't, I'll be honest with you, I'm such a big UCAN fan because UCAN utilizes steady release carbs instead of sugar so you don't feel the highs and the lows in your energy. I have noticed this really like 
you know, for me, I love to use, take two scoops if you can before my long runs, one scoop if it's like a kind of a medium long run. Uh, also, I love the edge energy gels as well. For me, I just don't have to worry about nutrition on the run. And it's just, it's so nice to not have to worry about this sort of thing. You know, it's like some crazy, you know, especially if you're going through some, some crazy stressful times, just knock one thing off the list of things you don't have to worry about certainly is helpful. And it's not just amateurs like me, top marathon runners in the U S like Emily Sisson, Sarah Hall, Emma Bates, Meb Kofleski, and now Kira DeMotto all rely on UCAN to fuel their training and their recovery. UCAN's award-winning edge energy gels last longer than other gels, and it provides a more consistent feeling of energy. They aren't too thick or sweet and don't have to chase them down with water. Uh, for me, I love them because they're more like they're more liquidy than other gels. You just don't have that aftertaste as well, which is really, really nice. And finally, you got to try the bars. The bars are unbelievable. They're like chocolate. You get the chocolate peanut butter. Frankly, they just taste like candy bars. They're fantastic, especially if you're going like on an early morning run, like you wake up, you want to have something and you want to hit the hit the road. I That's the spot for me with those things. And, um, you know, unless I want to just use them for snacks because they're just so darn tasty. I mean, really, they just taste like candy bars and they're absolutely fantastic. You can try the full variety of UCAN products at UCAN.co. That's U-C-A-N, UCAN.co. CO, and you can save 20% on your entire order by using code rambling. Not only do you save 20%, but it also helps out the podcast. So go to youcan.co today and use code rambling to save 20% on your offer. Hello and welcome to the Road to the Trials podcast, where we take an insider's look into the training and racing of some of America's best runners as they prepare for the 2024 Olympic trials. And we are doing our first Boston recap with CJ Albertson. CJ, thank you for hopping on so quickly after the race. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, the tiredness and, and fatigue of traveling and not, not sleeping and all that hasn't quite uh, settled in yet. So it's good to do it now because by tomorrow, you know, I'll probably be pretty useless. <laughs> there you go. Is it kind of like, a, like, Sometimes you know, like do a workout, like a really hard workout. Um, maybe you haven't done one before or haven't done one in a while. You get like the doms. So you have to like, sometimes you like, will do like back-to-back workouts, like before the doms sets in. They try to get like that second one in before they're just like, you know, walking backwards down the stairs. Is this like the podcast equivalent of that? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Because normally, you know, the night, the night before marathon, you don't sleep a whole lot. Um, this is actually probably one of a PR for sleep. I slept like six and a half hours before the marathon. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was a lot. Uh, and then, you know, the night after the, the night of the marathon, like after the race, you know, you don't really sleep a whole lot. Cause it's just, you know, just a lot. And then, uh, yeah, I didn't really sleep much last night. It was like a big, you know, traveling back home and then just kind of getting settled back and then going back to work and stuff. So still just like, I- I'm starting to kind of come down now, but it hasn't quite hit. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow I think I'm just going to be pretty tired. <laughs> it's going to, you know, eventually those, those sleep hours catch up with you. And is that pretty much like the, the MO with most of the marathons and most races or is it, is each time a little different? Yeah, that that's pretty typical. Usually like for a day or two afterwards, I feel, I feel all right, like energy wise. Um, and then, you know, at some point I get pretty tired and that that's with like any travel. So now, you know, if I am like tr- in training and I do some travel or, or go to some event or something, you know, I, I kind of, I try to take the next day easy uh, or just like, and, and try to, even if I don't feel tired, just try to just lay around as much as I can. Cause I know if I 
if I push and just live normal life that next day, then the, the second day after I'm going to be just, just wiped. So, um, kind of learn, you know, myself a little bit, but yeah, this is pretty typical. So we'll see, um, see how I apply, apply, catch up on sleep tomorrow. <laughs> nice. Well, obviously when you run a 210, 33 marathon, it is a, a huge physical stimulus with that said this tiredness after the race we're not gonna spend all the time talking about your after race tiredness so there's one more question how much of it i guess i mean obviously there's the physical component how much of it's like the mental and emotional piece that goes into everything that goes into race day right because it's not just the physical side right the mental and emotional focus around race day even leading up to race day i would assume would be pretty considerable yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of mental and emotional energy um even if you don't necessarily feel it and, uh, you know, and then there's excitement, too. Um, I think people have talked about before, you know, kind of like the, the post-race crash or I don't know what they call it. Maybe like post-race depression or whatever. Just because, like, it, that's like any any big event, um, you, you have that. And so I think, like, especially for um, younger runners or, like, maybe, like, you know, high school or college athletes, you're not necessarily expecting that. Um, and so when you, when you go to a big race and whether you do good or bad, you know, you're, you do it. And then like a few days later, you just feel like really down and, um, just kind of like tired or whatever, maybe, maybe even not motivated to, to run, even if you did well. And like, you know, the, the, right after the race, you're just super pumped. Or if you did bad, you're, you're still super pumped. You're like, Oh, I want to come back and avenge my, my bad performance or whatever. Um, but then eventually that tiredness kind of kicks in and then you're just like, sometimes you get in this funk. And so I feel like when you're, when you're racing a lot, especially, um, as a younger athlete, like you, you have to just know that that's a part of it. Like your, your emotions and your mental energy is going to, um, most likely take a dip. Um, not always, but for those races that you're really, really, really excited for, you're probably going to have some, you know, if you have a high, you're probably going to have a little bit of a low. And so I've run enough races now. I, I just expect that. So if I start feeling kind of weird, it's like, okay, this is just, I'm coming down off the, off the high of, you know, this, <laughs> the crazy, awesome Boston experience or, or whatever race I did. Yeah. And we just last week, it was like five days ago, we talked about your Boston preview, which was really exciting to hear. And you dove into your training and what you're actually planning on doing uh, the weekend of the race and all of that. So we're not going to dive into all of this right now. I'd refer people back to that episode. Uh, with that said, what was the just the energy level for you in during the weekend? I've talked to some people about Boston over the course of the weekend, I was up there on Friday, and it definitely had the feel for a lot of people who've been to several Bostons that it finally felt like it was back to kind of like pre-COVID, and maybe even more so uh, in terms of like the energy level surrounding the event, the excitement, the stoke people had in the city. Obviously, there was like, I think, more corporate events than I've ever seen in my life just from running brands. I know you're associated with that with Brooks, but it just overall seemed like people were so excited just for the general vibe of the race as a pro runner who's part of that but also you need to separate so that you're ready for race day what was that like for you yeah i mean it i felt like it was great uh the energy was awesome um yeah we we had some corporate events but i mean brooks had a their hyperion house um and it, i mean from all, every time i was there it seemed like it was great there's 
always lots of people in it, lots of energy. Uh, they had various panels that, that all seemed to, to go well and people were into. Um, and I, I enjoyed those too. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, it was a great balance for me. I felt like I was able to, to have interactions and excitement and kind of soak in the energy and just kind of have fun and, and enjoy the weekend um, without without feeling exhausted or without feeling like I was doing too much before the race. Um, it was just kind of like, you know, I got to get out and not just sit around in my hotel and dwell about the race. I got to, you know, just got to have, you know, have fun and um, just experience, the, you know, the, the, the running community, which, you know, was just, was great there. Um, and yeah, and then it, I, I feel like I had like a very balanced sense of like calmness with like enjoyment throughout the whole weekend so um as far as like pre-race i think this was one of the the best i've ever felt probably along with the olympic trials both of those races i just felt really balanced um leading into it all right let's talk about you know the the, the moments leading into the beginning of the race and after that i'm going to read a instagram post that you published today which was incredibly well written and people are um, really connecting with. So we'll, I'll read that and then we'll talk about some of the topics that you mentioned on here, which are not all entirely new to people who've been listening to these episodes because you've talked about some of them already. Um, but in the moments leading up to the beginning of the race, when you were thinking about what your plan was or how you were going to potentially either, you know, um, lead things out or how you'd react to certain people leading things out. Um, what crystallized for you about how you wanted to, to start the race um, and how you might react to other people, how they started the race? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to have really concrete plans because you don't know what everyone else is going to do. So I had a couple different scenarios. Um, I thought that it was either going to go out pretty fast um, and I was going to, most likely settle in to, to maybe a second group and and I didn't know what that would be but you know th so that was a possibility and then there was another possibility that um if it didn't go I mean there's a possibility that I thought it would go out slow because no one was going to lead besides Kipchoge I thought his his uh teammate um Augustine Chogi what <laughs> was possibly going to be pacing or, or setting an early on pace um, but then I was like, if he didn't, I, I, I didn't think Kipchoge was going to lead from the gun. And, uh, and if it wasn't his teammate, no one's going to lead Kipchoge because they're just not, I mean, it, it, it you know, it benefited him that it would just only benefit him to have a hot pace off the start. So I was like, there's a chance, um, if I went out to the front, they would just let me go because the only person that would run me down is Kipchoge. And I personally thought he wouldn't take the lead until over halfway so I started on the outside like I normally do uh I stayed on the first you know 30 meters I kind of stay on the outside and kind of look and if they were jogging off the line I was just kind of kind of go out at you know my normal 435 to 440 pace downhill um and just kind of run you know a moderate pace on the downhills um and if they let me get a lead, like I would, um, but that wasn't the case, you know, right, uh, right when the gun went off, he went straight to the front, and then I still planned to go with the second pack, even a couple miles in, and then it just, uh, I don't know, I, I never, I, I thought I would just naturally kind of slow down and drift into the second pack, 
and then I I just I didn't I was just kind of with the front pack and I felt kind of easy and then I, then I kind of looked around and like there wasn't I the second pack wasn't even close anymore so I was just there <laughs> yeah for sure and I, it was interesting because so from a viewing experience um it was basically like simple single camera for the most part like the men's front and the women's front and sometimes they were split screen sometimes they were not um so it's not like people who were viewing from home could see everything that was going on especially with the women's race <laughs> but we don't have to talk about that right now uh but the women's coverage was Boy, did that leave a lot to be desired. But from the men's coverage perspective, um, we couldn't see everything. But it did seem that there were a couple points where, like, you started to fall off and then kind of came back. And the thing with the these one single camera shots that you can never tell, like, if, like, you're actually slowing down or if other people are speeding up. And then conversely, if, like, you're catching back up or if they're slowing back down. I think it was around the 27-minute mark, you started to kind of fade off the back. And then you rejoined, you know, basically two mi- you know, two or three miles later around the 40-minute mark, you know, in terms of, like, the camera I was watching. During those periods of time, would you describe that as you falling off the pace or was they were they speeding up? Or how would you – how were you thinking about those moments? Um. Yeah, it was – so after the first, the first four miles are significantly downhill. Um, and then after that, it, it gets pretty rolly. And so some of those are net uphill miles. And um, so during when I was kind of falling off, it was, I was just trying to maintain an effort because I'm, you know, I, I'm, I was going out fast, but I still didn't have the attitude of like, oh, I'm just going to try to hang on with these guys no matter what. My attitude was just, I'm just going to run what just comes natural the first half because like you can't start pressing five miles in it's it's not gonna not gonna work uh so i just i just kind of ran like the same effort and and as we're going up some uphill portions they were still maintaining a you know low 440s or or faster you know pretty fast pace and that was just i would have had to press too much so i just kind of ran an even effort and then the next two miles they slowed down and i just kept running the same and um, so I rejoined them. Um, so when I dropped back, it, it would have been not like, you know, if there was another pack that was right there, like I, I definitely would have ran with that pack. Um, but it, it just, what it, my natural running just led me kind of with the, the first pack. So yeah, and, yeah. And- I was just trying to maintain an even effort basically. Right. And you know, the, the camera doesn't tell the whole picture. So it's hard to tell like how far you fell or how far you were distance from the front pack. But I can just tell for like, in terms of the, the viewing experience for us, like there was no obvious second pack, like over your shoulder where it'd be like, Oh yeah. He, no. <laughs> you know, he's going back with like Nico and Scott and some of the other people who were like behind you. It did seem like the, the first pack was pretty far adrift from, from the, the, the chase pack at that point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't exactly know how far, but I mean, yeah, it, it wasn't, I would have had to slow down significantly to get back in that pack at that point or yeah. back in the second pack. Yeah, for sure. And it's not like cycling. Where you have like people like holding up a little thing like, hey, this is how far ahead you are. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's yeah. all kind of like, I would assume it's kind of like a guessing game. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's take a, a read of, um, and I don't like to do this very often, especially because like, I'm not the best public speaker from when it comes to reading standpoint, but I'm getting better. So here we go, baby. I'm, I'm ready to do it. Um, this one's for you. Um, my 10th grade teacher who said I, I should never read in public again after reading the play 1776 in class, but we're doing it anyway. 
This one's from Mr. Roland. All right. 210-33, 12th place at the Boston Marathon. On paper, a mediocre result. With analysis, a poor result. With a 62-20 first half split, then fading hard with a 68-13 second half. But this race was special. For a while now, it's been difficult to enjoy running or really anything in life. And I've had this feeling that I'm not exactly myself. Life, I'm sorry, like my life and personality have been filtered in a grayscale. This weekend in Boston was full of vibrant color, running 15 miles with the world's best marathoners, far faster than I've ever ran before, felt right. And it felt like me. It's hard to describe, but the genuine joy, peace, and fun I experienced during the race hit me in a way that I could only interpret as this is who I am. Yesterday, I wasn't fit enough to race a full 26.2 with the world's best, and many would say I should have ran the first half slower including me, before the race. Analytically, they are correct. But I was rewarded anyway. I was reminded of who I am, the greatness I was created for, not just in running, in the joy of running and life. We all have greatness within us. We may not have achieved it yet, haven't mastered the habits slash discipline necessary to get there, and sometimes may not even feel it's true, but it's still who we are. Time to live it out. Um, I guess the first thing I want to talk about, because we've already talked about some of the pacing stuff, and I think that's secondary to the point here. Um, is this the way you put it? And I thought it was really well done. Um, like my life and personality have been filtered in a grayscale. You talked about this at length in our introductory um, conversation. And you had also framed it as once race day gets closer, I anticipate that this part is going to fall away. And kind of the vibrancy and the color would, would, would kind of uh, filter back into your life. Um, did you experience any of that before race day? Or did you kind of have that same feeling all the way through right up until uh, the race? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, yeah, I started feeling um, a little bit better um, as it got closer to the race. Um, and I think you know, your, your physical and, and mental, emotional, all those things are, are kind of tied together. So as I'm dialing in, you know, my, my physical fitness and, you know, really doing everything nutrition wise and sleep wise and recovery, like just really trying to be like at my best in every possible way. Uh, it does, it does kind of stabilize you mentally and emotionally as well. And then emotionally, you also get, you know, it, it's fun and you get excited when you can see yourself getting pretty fit and progressing along the path that you want to be on when you have, you know, a, a goal race or any goal event coming up. And so I think just the combination of that, like physically, you know, the, the physiological part of my body that affects your brain was 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 st stable in a way. Um, and then just the emotional excitement of you know, starting to, to, to do some good workouts and do some good long runs, knowing that that was going to make the Boston Marathon more fun and, and help me be more competitive. Um, yeah, that all kind of played together, and I, I was starting to feel better as we got closer to race day. And then also, I, I've i been able to kind of, even when I haven't been in great moments um, in life, which is with my mood or, or emotional side or whatever, um... I've been able to to kind of figure it out or at least be okay like in the week or two leading up to the event because I know I know that I need to perform well and it's just kind of like it's weird because I feel like sometimes I think like okay why can't I just decide to be in a better place at any time and for some reason it's just really hard but 
Um, but then for some reason, I can't fully explain why when it comes to running and I know I have like a big event that I need to be like more stable for in a better mood for or doing better emotionally and mentally for like I'm able, I'm able to do it. It's almost like I'm able to just decide like I'm going to be, you know, my mental health is going to be better now. My motivation is just going to be better. It's just like a choice that I'm going to make and it's just going to be better. And then it is. And, uh, but I can really only do that with very select things and running big races is one of those. And so I think that's one reason why I, I do like, I like, like, it's hard to imagine not running because, um, you know, that's like, when I'm not racing, like, what if, you know, like, you got to get out of that hole somehow sometimes. And so races get me out of that hole sometimes that I'm in. And, and I don't really even know why. It just, I'm able to, like, I'm able to dig, dig myself, which does, the expression dig yourself out of hole doesn't make sense because, right, no, you're digging a bigger Unless you're going hole. to the other side of there. Unless you're yeah, really so, going to the other side I'm of able, I mean, yeah, I, I guess I stopped digging and I'm able to, like, climb out. <laughs> it's yeah. like my brain is like, oh, like, hey, like, stop trying to dig your way out of the hole and just climb up. And then I was like, yeah, I'll climb up now. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of an old saying where, like, this guy falls down a hole and he's yelling for help and his friend walks by and he's like, hey, I'm, I'm down in this hole. I'm going to ruin this thing, but it, it hopefully I get most of it right. He's like, I'm down in this hole, you know, send help, send help, send help. And the guy goes, hold on a second. And he jumps into the hole. The second guy jumps in the hole. First guy's like, what, 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 what are you doing? Why did you come down here, man? Like, I just I thought you were going to go get help. And he's like, no, I've been in this hole before. I also know the way out, you know? And you get that feeling of like, all right, like, I, you know, you, you have this support system where the idea behind it is obviously like you're not in here alone. I've been down here with you. And I can help you out. When you are in those moments, are there people or you know anything outside of like trying to wrestle in your own head that um, have gotten you through those moments outside of just you know either performing better or uh, waiting for race day to waiting for race day to happen? Um. Yes and no. I mean, obviously, like you know, my wife um, helps a lot, <laughs> um, and yeah, is obviously like really supportive, but. There's also, like, um, there's not really, I guess, any, any anything that, like, people can say or really do that I can say helps. Like, it's just, it does, I don't know, it, like, sometimes I guess things kind of help a little bit, but um, there's no, like, I, I think if you could, because if you could identify that, it'd be, be pretty easy, like, Oh, like, you know, you just talk to this person and then it's fixed. Or <laughs> Like, you just, you just, someone says this to you or, you or you go do this activity with this person. And it's like, obviously, it's not, it doesn't, it's not that easy or else it wouldn't be that hard to, to get over. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yes and no. I think, I think, I think where it is, is um, there's not really anything that people can do or say that is going to necessarily change the mental or emotional state I may be in or really maybe anyone else can be in but what what is important in those moments is the decisions that you make and the and the the things that you continue to do or don't do and so 
regardless of how you're feeling or what you're thinking or what your motivation is or whatever, all, all those all those mental and emotional things, you still have to be living in the way that, that gets you to where you want to go and making the decisions that get you want where you want to go. And for some people, maybe avoiding decisions that are destructive. And so that's that's the area where like having people around you and you know having my, my wife that still forces me to do things like um you know like sometimes when I'm really just not doing well like I won't want to see anybody or do anything and like like in college when I was you know when I was really struggling like she would force me to get out of bed and be like you just just she would just keep turning on all the lights and be like you're you're you know, I texted your friends, you're going and hanging out with them. And it's just like, like, that didn't make my mood better. But it got me doing actions that, you know, could make things better. So I think that's where it is, is, is finding people, finding people that will get you to do the right things. Um, despite, you know, whatever you may continue to think or feel. So what about running 15 miles with some of the best runners in the world? brought you to a different place um yeah so i think it for i i think why i kind of reflected and, and wrote what i wrote was um when i finished i i didn't feel disappointed at all actually um and and my wife was a little confused because she thought she thought i was going to feel you know pretty disappointed because obviously i didn't finish super well um you know and i'm competitive so i want to I want to beat as many people as I can and, um, definitely beat, you know, all the Americans that I've beat before. Um, and so, yeah. And, and so I was kind of thinking, like, I was like, I was trying to like think about why I wasn't disappointed. Cause I, I really wasn't like, I felt great after the race. Like I was, I don't really know how to describe Like I just, I felt good and like just at peace really with everything. So, yeah, I think it was just when I was running, as I kind of mentioned in my post, it just felt like, it felt very comfortable, I guess, to be running with the group. And I feel like there was, uh, you know, when you think about running with, like, Kipchoge, like, he's just, like, this, like, almost, like, mythical person. Like, he's, like, so fast. But then when I'm in, when I was in the race with them, especially, you know, the first mile or two, it's, like, whatever. It's, like, two miles in. But when I was, like, ten miles in... And I was running alongside him and, you know, clipping his heels and like being there. It's like, I remember there was a point where it's like, I wasn't just running with him. Like I, I thought I could beat him and I'm like, I'm feeling great. Like I'm going to win or like, yeah, like I thought I, there was a moment where I was like, I, I can win the race. And, and, and like all these great runners that you know, I, I've seen their times, watched them on TV, and, you know, just, it's like, man, and especially Kipchoge, I mean, everyone just kind of, like, looks at him, like, wow, and, but then it was, but they, they just became so, like, I just felt so in place there, like, I didn't feel like I was running with these people that were better than me, it just, it just felt like I was just running with normal, like, just, do like, we were just out running, like, and I was there, and, and so, and then, it just kind of, like, I don't, I don't know, I, I I'm really having It sounds having like you're describing, like, the sense of flow. 
yeah, I was def there was definitely flow, but it was also it was more like kind of like deeper. Like I like I'm the best in the world aren't any different than I am. Like because I I used to think like wrapping my mind around like running four forty pace for a marathon, it just seemed so fast. But then when I was out running that pace for for half of it, it didn't seem like it seemed like. This is this isn't anything that's crazy or hard. Like, obviously, I wasn't fit enough to, to do that for the full marathon. Um, but it just it didn't it didn't seem crazy anymore. It was just like this is yeah, like I can I can do this. It's no, like it's just a like these guys aren't crazy. It's just it's pretty. I mean, it's just you can just do it. Um, and then like I yeah, I just felt like they. I don't know. It was just like this moment where it's like I can be f even greater than like I think I can be, which is is pretty high to begin with. <laughs> um, like, can I and, can I add something? It, it sounds yeah. like you. It sounds now, and while I was reading this, just like everybody else probably knows this as well, that you reached a certain clarity, not just about your potential and place as a person now, but just in terms of clarity for like your life in general. Yeah, and well, I think, I mean, from like a young age, I've just always had this like, and I've said this on many different times, but like a kind of like a sense of like greatness that I would just have. And and I couldn't really describe like what that would be specifically in terms of what I would do in life or times I'd run or, you know, places I'd get. But it's just this like overall like sense of like greatness on me that I was going to do like things that I, I that didn't necessarily logically make sense at the time. Like, um, that just seemed like too big of dreams, but it, it wasn't that like I was coming up with these dreams as like a kid, like, because I'm, I'm more of a logical person. Like, no, like let's, let's be realistic about what you can do. But it was just like, it did. It was just like, no, like you're just, I'm going to be really great. It's, it's just, it's just who I am. Like, I can't change that. Even if that's not what's happening right now, like, you know, eventually, um, like that, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> like, I mean, I still have to do the habits and stuff to get there, but, um, it's just me. And so sometimes, most of the time I don't feel that. Um, and I don't, a lot of times I think that way, but I just don't really like feel that. And like, you just, you know, you, you lose sight of that. Um, but then like moments like this, it's like, it's so strong. And like, sometimes I will refer to it like the voice, um, like this voice in my head and sometimes I'll refer to it on Strava, like I'll have a run where it's just like, it's just like, wow, like I'm going to, like, I'm like, I was made for greatness. <laughs> um, so yeah, but this was like, this run, it was just different. It was just, it was very, the, 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 the peace side of it was just different that I'm having trouble describing. Yeah, and I appreciate you diving into it because obviously it's something that's hard to put into words. And at the same time, you're being pretty vulnerable about sharing this sort of thing. I can tell just by looking your face, like you're kind of like weighing, like what should I say? How should I say it? And it, it, well, it's, it's more framing how because I don't know how to like fully describe it myself. Like, like there's there's almost like there, yeah, there's just like feelings I don't really know how to put into words because like there's not really words. It's just like. Yeah, it's just something 
I just like feel I just like feel different or like yeah I don't really know but it, it's it's more it, it's not necessarily like a super excited like mode it's just just like really like peaceful like I don't know man the race was just I I've just yeah I've just I don't know <laughs> and the fact that you was still there not just during the flow state of like, look what I'm doing, look who I'm doing this with, but also at the finish line where you were far removed from that experience at mile 10, mile 12, mile 13. And, you know, and it was still there, still ever present. And you were still happy with the race and you're talking to your wife afterwards. So one thing you didn't address in the post, um, and yet it does feel like you, you are kind of brushing up against it is either religion spirituality god or some semblance of that does that um do you, are you a religious person is that something that you have um you know made a part of your life yeah i think for me it's um it's in, it's trying to think how this yeah with with usually if i if i'm not having a, a one-on-one conversation with a person um i like to kind of describe things in the way that I described it in my post, because I think sometimes there's times to directly like refer to God or Jesus or, you know, whatever your like religious thing that you're really referring to. But I think sometimes you can just describe what you're experiencing and then people like, I mean, cause uh, like, uh, but this this could be a whole long thing. But <laughs> I believe like if if people are going to have like a religious experience, like like as like you know like identifying as like a Christian, like I would believe like that would be like the Holy Spirit would be like in that encounter, um, and that that's like from my biblical understanding of the Bible. Um, that doesn't make sense. But my understanding of the Bible. Um, so like if you just describe something like. The, if someone's going to really like receive that in a religious way, like the, the Holy Spirit is going to work anyway. So you don't always have to explicitly say things because sometimes when you do, people just kind of get annoyed and write it off anyways. Um, but also I'm, I, I just describe how I'm feeling because I'm also in that like stage of where I, I don't like, it's really hard for me to like believe things a hundred percent. I'm just like very, I don't know. This is not how my brain works. So I have like many doubts and, and even though I've chosen to, um, um, I've chosen to like believe in God and believe that the most likely scenario is that Jesus lived and was the son of God. And that like, you know, through his like death and resurrection, like we can have eternal life. And like, that's how we connect with God. Um, like that's what I've chosen. But then there's also like a part of my brain that's like, but there's no, there's, that's not like a hundred percent certainty. Like, I don't know. Like sometimes I wake up and it's like, that could not all be true. I mean, I have these, you have these like experiences where it's like, it just seems like the, I mean, that had to be some supernatural experience or like that had to be God that had to be the Holy spirit. This could have like, you know, you have experiences, but then you also have your brain still like, well, that's, it's still not enough evidence, you know, like, um, you know, and that could be, you know, biblically, that could be, you know, there, there can be spiritual warfare. I'm not going to get into 
that on this particular podcast, but like, you know, I don't really know, like there's so many things, but, um, but I think because of like all the doubt I've had and, and just like the constant, like my mind just thinks so many things. Um, I, I like to just describe what is happening or, and what I'm feeling because I don't like to nest because I like for myself to have the chance of like not trying to force a belief and just like rely like just like be like okay if God is God and, and the Holy Spirit is like present around my life and like that's just going to like that's just going to be there and like I don't always have to force my own faith too um and so I can just I can describe things with without saying a hundred percent like this was God or this because one, you don't even know, or at least I don't know. Like, people always say, like, God told me this, or, like, it's like, I don't know. Maybe, I mean, yeah, like, some people may be really certain it was, but I'm just, I'm more like, you know, I don't know. Like, it could could have been, or maybe really likely. Um, but, yeah, so I think that's where, yeah, where I'm at is, like, it's, a, I don't know, it's, it's a very complex conversation, but... But yeah, when I describe things, it's definitely referring, those things are referring to God. And like when I say like, you know, we're meant for greatness or creative greatness, I, I, I believe that, I, I believe that that's because there is someone that created, <laughs> you know, there is someone that created the earth and that created humanity. Um, because if, you know, if we're just random, um, you know, particle physics that, somehow interact with each other in a way that follows universal laws for some reason there's universal laws like it, then we're not really created for data we're just kind of nothing really um but i but but i think every human deep down knows like we're not just nothing like we're something like there's and each person is like something like each individual person and I think that's like, like human rights things are like, it's hard to, it's weird when relig when God and like human rights things is separated because it's like, why are human rights so important if you, if there's, if it's, this is all random chaos kind of like, but because people know that like a human is more than a physical thing, it's like, there's some soul within us, but like, what is that soul? Like, so just because we can't necessarily answer that question doesn't mean there is a God, but it's... You're not going to answer that question for us today, CJ? No, I mean, just because... Yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, I'm, like, it's... I'm, I'm just but it makes it pretty... Li I mean, it makes... Makes the... At least opens the conversation for a decent argument that there is, so... Um, yeah, so I think that great... I, and... Yeah, and I think, like... Um, it just gives you... Yeah, it, it helps to have, like, a... Be like... I don't know. I just feel like when people really sit down and think about each person, it's like, yeah, like there is something each person can do and like each person can have value and like a purpose. And it's like, why? Like, why do we all believe that so much? Is it just like some evolutionary thing? Like, I don't know, because we still do stupid stuff and kill each other. So, you know, evolution, I don't think it can account for, for that. So like, the, I think I think we have that deep innate in us because we literally like we were created with that purpose and that's why like you know like God himself you know chose to be beaten 
and <laughs> mocked by his own creation. So. Yeah, and you you highlighted it there in terms of like the the idea that underlying all of that is this idea that you know made for greatness that that, that that's part of being human and that in these experiences you have felt that personally with a certain kind of clarity um, and enhanced sense of self that I think is um, really enlightening. I appreciate you sharing it, and it's certainly something that I think a lot of people can. Uh, can resonate with even as me so i'm not a religious person i'm also not an atheist because a lot of things you just said i've also felt right like i, I feel like i have a soul like there's something inside of me i'm not just a meat sack right so <laughs> yeah. i don't know what any of this means and I'm, again i'm not a religious person uh i'm married to a religious person um but i also feel like I, there has to be something more to this but again we don't have to dive into all of this right now but i did want to touch on it because it does it does seem pretty obvious that at the heart of your post that that is part of the, the nucleus um inside of it so i do appreciate you you talking about it that is for sure and i guess let's see here uh i know i had another question i wanted to ask about it oh um but finally when you have those moments and you you talk about this um about 10 minutes ago these moments of clarity um in the in the in the broadest sense uh that you describe in this post on this podcast uh about the experience you had during the race and you've had them in the past when you have those and you do have that that sense of oneness but also connectivity um how do do you move forward with that and try to keep that that faith element there not merely in terms of like connection to a spiritual being but in faith in your own self, right? Because it feels like there are, there are moments where we all fall down in terms of not having faith in ourselves, um, especially like you mentioned, like living that filtered grayscale life um, that, you know, it kind of is the opposite of what, of what you're talking about now. So, so how do you move forward with that clarity to try to enhance those times in the future? Yeah, I mean, that, that it's, a, it's a good question um, that I think, the simplest answer is is I, I haven't mastered that or figured that out. And I think it's something that every for the most part, every you know, everyone struggles with um from from a from a religious faith standpoint and, and just believing in themselves. I think um, you know, from a religious standpoint it's it's really easy to see you have this feeling, you have this like clarity moment where you really feel like connected to God or, or that, you know this is real or that, you know, there's, there's all these things like you have this like really strong spiritual experience and then, and then, and then you make a decision about what you're going to believe in. And then three months later, that, that feeling or that experience that you have is, is now far removed and you don't feel it and you're, you're living life and it, nothing like that experience is still real, but like we, we, we live so much in the current, um, in what we're currently feeling and experiencing. And it's, it's really hard to, um, continue to make, like when we made choices in a certain mind state, like it's hard to continue to make those choices when we're no longer in that same mind state. So whether it's like you have this religious experience and you choose to believe in God and you choose to follow a, a way of living and worshiping and, and how you treat people and love people. Well, then like, you know, after you go through life, you, you kind of, <laughs> yeah, you just, things happen and, and you stop making those decisions because you're no longer feeling, you're not going to feel that crazy high experience every day. Same with like, 
you you either have a good race or, or you watch some video something really motivates you to be like i'm gonna I'm, you know i'm gonna run a fast marathon or you know i'm gonna read 50 books in a year like something motivates you to make a decision because you feel this strong but then it, it's so hard to like follow through on it um so I think if I could answer the question, you know, I sell a lot of books and stuff, but you know, I don't, I don't know. And I, I would think, have a lot of downloads, CJ, if you could answer that question yeah, for me. That's, I think, what, that's what I'm mining for right now. So, yeah, it's hard. I think one thing is, is it's good to, to kind of reflect and like remember these moments because I've had a few of these moments, and so sometimes when I am feeling, when I'm not feeling that that. Uh, sense of greatness or motivation sometimes I have to go back to to the few moments I've had because those you I think realistically you have to expect that those feelings like feeling like you're great at least for me or you know feeling like you know God is with me or creating me for greatness is like that's like one percent maybe a half a percent like most of like what I'm feeling is not that is most of what I'm feeling is just like I got a bunch of work to do I got you know I got all this stuff to do then I'm just feeling down. Then I'm just feeling tired. Like you have very, very, very small moments where you're feeling good and motivated and pumped up and, and, and whatever you, you know, are believing in. And so you have to just like, you have to, first you just have to expect that. I think if you have those expectations, even people that believe in God, you have to expect, man, there's going to be a lot of days where you don't because everyone around you is saying it's not real. You believe in a fairy, you know, like it's culture, like, so you have to expect that you're not going to always, you know, believe like, you know, maybe you're following a certain diet or whatever. You should always be open to, 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 to looking at things in a new light. Cause maybe, maybe the thing that you did follow wasn't fully correct, but, but you know, sometimes you have to stick to what you're doing. So there's a balance there too. But, um, yeah, so first it's just expecting. And then second is just creating discipline and habits. And that's why I included, you know, most of us, yeah, we are created for greatness, but the reality is the that almost all of us to some degree haven't created those habits and the discipline to get there. Like some of us are on the way and some of us are further as long as we aren't. So, yeah, we're not seeing that greatness in ourselves. So we can easily be Debbie Downers on ourselves and be like, man, that's not true. Look at me. Look how much I suck. Like we can easily bring ourselves down because it's like, yeah, that is true. Like I can look at all my mistakes. I can look at all the times I've, I've done bad, like not just in running, but you know, mostly in life. And that's true. Like those are very valid things, but it doesn't change who I am. It just means I probably do need to change some of the things I'm doing, some of the habits I'm doing, some of my discipline. And, um, and that's really hard too. So then you're like, okay, well, how do I, how do I do that? And you have to expect that, like when you are changing your habits, you're going to you're going to fail like you're going to do things you don't want to do you're going to do the wrong things and feel like you're a failure like you're never going to be able to 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 to, to, (laughs) you're never going to be able to develop the habits necessary to be great um but like the goal isn't to like be have perfect habits it's just to like man if you wanted to read 50 books a year and you only got two, well, maybe the next year you read four. And it's like, man, you still suck. You weren't even close to your goal. You were, you know, you achieved 8% of your goal. That's really bad. I mean, you, you definitely failed. But you went from two to four books. So you're you're trending in the right direction, which is another important thing to, to do. 
Um, and then, yeah, it's just doing your best to develop habits. So like for me, it's like, okay, trying to analyze like, how can I create a life? How can I create people around me? How can I have preset things to where I'm continuing to do things well? So I'm trying to think of a example. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm blanking on things. Maybe I need, I need to create more habits, I guess I get it. <laughs> but like, you kind of have like built in things so that you don't get, um, so that you like, yeah, having a schedule, I guess, um, like for, like for running, like having a, a schedule helps, um, because then like you kind of have, you have to do it whether you feel like doing it or not. And so, like, as I start to train now, it's like, okay, what what's realistic for me? And, like, what are things that, like, I'm just going to... How can I, like, set up things to where, like, I'm just going to do it regardless? Um, but, and yeah. Just, and it, I thought you brought up a good point normal. before, too, of, like, you know, it's, like, the idea is you're going through, like, the, the what-if situation of, like, oh, man, like, I suck, I suck, I suck. And it's like, all right... And as, as a parent, you're certainly going to live this life as well as your, you know, as, as, as your kids grow. It's like they have like, no, you know, what you, what, what you did sucked. You don't suck. Right. Yeah. Kind of disconnecting the two of like personifying the suck versus just identifying like, yeah, that wasn't great, but you're great, you know, and kind of de- detaching the two. Um, you've been so generous with your time. I do want to ask you one more question and I don't, there's no great segue. So I'm just going to dive in. Um, <laughs> this is called road of the trials. And part of that is, is not only, you know, you doing your best, but inherent in that is also the competitive side of things. Right. So you, know, you were in a race with some of America's best runners, right? Not just for the world's best, but America's best and the top five and especially the top four, we're all get all together with within 45 seconds of each other. So Scott Fobble at 209.44, Matt McDonald at 210.17, Connor Mance at 210.25, and then you at 210.33. So you're all kind of basically evenly spaced amongst the, that 45 seconds or so um, in terms of the top four. Do you have any? Did you have any analysis or things that you would take from this event in regards to any of those four people as like um, just in terms of what you're going to take moving forward or any um, I guess analysis isn't the right word, but I can't think of the right word at the moment. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, I, I, every race is different. And so you have to be like getting top three in a race is hard and and the people that can run the fastest times aren't necessarily going to be able to place top three in a race that's where only top three matters um and so for me it's really being like okay how can how can i run in a race where it's most likely going to be just one big pack and sometimes there's a few people that go out but it's mostly going to be one big pack and then it gets whittled down and and you try to close and race people at the end to, to be top three. Um, and that's something that I don't, um, I don't fully know how I'm going to do, um, you know, and, and racing, racing like that. Um, and then you don't know like what the pace is going to require either, because I think we're going to have some guys that can, that can run, you know, 207, 208, um, I, but you know, you don't know how the trials will play out. So I think for me, it's just being able to race like in every situation, you know, going out slow and closing really fast. Um, 
running hard from the start, which, you know, I can, I think I can do, but more so just like the closing the second half really well, um, and just kind of making big moves and covering big moves. Um, and just kind of like that, that little racing, because like these big, like world stage races don't really, um, the leaders are racing like that, but everyone else kind of isn't. And so, because it's, you know, there's just, you're kind of getting strung along or there's a big fast pack. So the Olympic trials is just so much different because again, it's only top three and it's probably, and there's no international people running like 202 or 204 or whatever. So it's just, you know, there's just your pack and you, and you go and you got to beat people. So, um, yeah, I'll have to do some different things in training, probably more fart lake type stuff, a lot more speed type things. Um, and yeah, I mean, individually, nothing really changed as far as how individuals go, because I, I mean, I've kind of always known that that's what the trials will be like. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a good race. And I think, I mean, Connor's going to be very good in the marathon. I mean, he, yeah, he ended up with all of us, but it's because he ran like six minute pace the last two miles, I think in a in a race that doesn't go out in 62 minutes at Boston, he's, that he doesn't get hyperthermic in. I mean, he, he's going to run pretty fast. So, um, and we, I mean, there's other guys in America that can run pretty fast. So it's, yeah, there sure yeah. are. I uh, guess last one, what, what was your half marathon? What's your half marathon PR? Do you know off the top of your head? That was, that was it. I was going to say, I don't really <laughs> run a lot of half. I haven't half, really this raced. One, it's a downhill half, but it was, yeah, I haven't um, really raced a lot of half. Yeah, that's by far the fastest I've ever ran. Last, my previous fastest half marathon was last year's Boston at 63, 63.20. But I don't, I could probably run, obviously I could race a half faster. I just haven't. Actually, I didn't think, I thought if I raced a half, I'd be somewhere around 63 minutes. Maybe somewhere, maybe just under 63. So that's another thing that I was encouraged by the race. I'm like, man, I ran 62.20, like... I, I would have been pretty happy if I ran a half marathon at sixty two twenty. Like I would have been like, yeah, that was, a, that was a good run. I had more speed than I thought. See, so, you just you had you had a sixty eight you had a sixty eight minute uh, cool down. That's all. Yeah, yeah, it was a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. CJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, for sharing again, as as always. You know, the, the honesty and the frankness uh, and uh, just the, the overall thoughtfulness that you share. It's always a pleasure. And I know everyone appreciates it, not just me. So thanks again for doing this. I look forward to catching up with you in a couple months and just see how uh, see how things are going. Yeah. Thanks for asking good questions because, the, the th- you know, good questions aren't asked. You can't really be thoughtful. So. <laughs> Thank you, Nell and CJ, for coming on. Of course, go check out Road to the Trials today. Also, make sure you check out You Can. If you haven't already done so, youcan.co and use code RAMBLING to save 20%. Not only is that going to help you in your running, in your hydration, in your nutrition, but it also helps the show. So, two birds and one stone. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running.